Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Insight Corporation, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Here's the Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. This series focuses on all things caregiving. We will hear from the experts and the experienced, and trust me, their know-how will offer caregivers and families at every stage of the journey best practices, tips, and most importantly, an abundance of hope. Caregivers will feel their support and compassion. Today's episode features caregiving expert Michelle Bishop. Michelle is a clinical and health psychologist who specializes in working with cancer patients, survivors, and family caregivers. She spent the first half of her career as a research assistant professor at the University of Florida, studying the long-term quality of life of BMT survivors and caregivers. And for the last 11 years, Michelle has been in private practice providing direct psychosocial care to cancer patients and caregivers. Through all these years, Michelle has been a friend and has collaborated with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, BMT InfoNet, and Be The Match on a number of projects. Thanks for being with us today, Michelle. Hi, Peggy. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you're focusing on family caregivers. I know when you interviewed the caregivers for this series, you heard some amazing stories and got excellent tips and ideas of how they made it through. Absolutely. What will you be talking about today? I thought today I'd focus on some of the kind of broad brushstroke themes of the caregiver experience and lay out a kind of roadmap focusing on ways to build resilience for the caregiver journey. I'm trying out a new metaphor with you today, um, but I'm hoping (laughs) it'll be helpful in framing some of the important aspects of the BMT journey and ways to get through. Tell us more. Well, so we often use the word journey when we talk about cancer and transplant survivorship and caregiving. And I think it's a way to appropriately and correctly acknowledge that the whole experience is more of a marathon than a sprint. It really is more like a long road trip. I love it. So to start, I envision kind of pulling out a big map, if you will, to help caregivers get oriented to where they are in the journey. I think it can be helpful to see where you are in relation to the whole picture. It's, of course, important not to get ahead of oneself and to get too concerned about the future. But I think it's helpful to see that this is a different kind of road trip than, let's say, dealing with a broken bone or a specific surgery. Those events tend to have a beginning, middle, and an end, and then things go back pretty much to where they were. But with the BMT road trip, we can't actually see the final destination, and we don't really know exactly how long it's going to take. So we need to plan differently and be mindful along the way. So it'll be helpful to understand that there are many roads we may travel to get to the end and that there will actually be distinct stages of the journey as well. For example, the period of transplant and early recovery at the transplant center, the transition home and ongoing recovery. With allogeneic transplant, there may be additional roads dealing with graft-versus-host disease. So, you know, and you know, as you know, with road trips in general, sometimes they go really smoothly and we get there quicker than we thought. But oftentimes there are a lot of unexpected twists and turns and maybe some roadblocks and delays and even some detours. So it's really important to figure out how do we build resilience and stamina for a longer road trip? So that's what I thought I'd focus on today in the time that we have. So this is great, Michelle. So where would one start? 
Well, the first thing I think most people do as they're embarking on the journey of BMT, and certainly it's true when they're about to embark on a long road trip, is that they get information. They do research, they ask questions, they may read about the diagnosis, treatment, what to expect with transplant. They may talk to other people who've been through it. The good news is that there's a lot of great information out there, especially through wonderful organizations such as National BMT Link, BMT InfoNet, and Be The Match. Now, that being said, it can sometimes feel overwhelming with all that's out there, but it's important to remember that you can just focus on what you need to know now and then can keep going back to those sources as you travel further down the road. Also, you know, typically in the first stage of transplant, the transplant team, they're wonderful purveyors of information and support, and they really help patients and caregivers navigate the different aspects of transplant and the early recovery phase. You know, there's a lot for caregivers to do during this phase. There's a lot of planning, organizing, and arrangements to be made. The family may have to physically relocate to the transplant center for a period of time, figuring out work and childcare. But hopefully they're getting a lot of support from family and friends with food and errands and transportation and different things that they need. You know, sometimes it can be really stressful to field all the calls from family and friends about how the patient is doing or what they can do to help. So there's some great tools out there like Caring Bridge and Meal Train, lots of helping hands. These are internet-based technologies that one can use to communicate with their support team to help the support team help them. Um, it's also a time when the caregiver is often in the role of patient advocate with the medical system. They're the patient's voice in the spokesperson. Caregivers talk about how they end up learning all kinds of things, essentially being trained as nurses learning to monitor symptoms and manage medication as they prepare for the next stage of the journey when the patient is released to go home. At this point, the caregiver really kind of slides into the driver's seat, if you will, as a lot of that direct care and monitoring falls more squarely on their shoulders. It's also really important to recognize that family caregivers are not just caregivers. They're also members of a family that's going through cancer and transplant. They're on this road, too, as a wife, mother, sibling, husband with the patient. It's not the same thing as being a professional caregiver um, who might come in, provide care, and then go home at the end of the day. The family caregivers are going through it, too. And so sometimes we call them co-survivors or even co-patients. And so it's important we don't lose sight of that, that there are a lot of feelings that uh, may come up for caregivers, uh, fear, worry, anxiety, uncertainty. And there's not only new roles in terms of caregiving, but they're changing roles in the family that are happening as well, like switching from kind of equal partners to the nurse-patient role. So it's important to acknowledge that aspect as well. And it's all the more reason to think about ways to build resiliency. Michelle, I couldn't agree more. I have to tell you, Peggy, that in doing this work for so many years now, I am continually struck and honestly in awe of the incredible resiliency of the human spirit of patients, of caregivers, of families, of communities, as they rally around to get through and even to thrive in these really difficult situations. So Michelle, let's elaborate on that a little bit. What do you mean exactly by resiliency? By resiliency, I mean a kind of buoyancy, if you will. It's the ability to weather storms, to ride things out, to bounce back from challenge and adversity. And there are lots of different factors that contribute to resiliency. But today, I thought I would focus on kind of five key aspects of psychological resiliency that I thought were important in the context of the BMT journey. Great. So The first is related to, kind of for a lack of a better word, confidence. 
So it's really about building a confidence or competence base that we draw from that helps us to persevere. So we, of course, don't start out that way. We start out pretty scared, pretty nervous. And, you know, it's a big unknown and we're naive to the process. But amazingly, over time, and really generally pretty quickly, families and caregivers in particular really start to build a confidence base and a competence in these new roles. So how do they do this? Well, part of it is, like we talked about, getting information, reaching out to other people who've been through it before. But it's also by living it, by trying different things out, by finding what works for them, trusting themselves, and through that, persevering and persisting. Sometimes it's a kind of grit or determination to keep on, especially on those more challenging days. But with time and experience, one builds confidence to problem solve and to manage the things that come up. One thing that's really helpful is to work on kind of developing what one might call realistic optimism, which has to do with finding a balance between seeing things as they are, seeing what is and dealing with what is, while still maintaining optimism. So how do we do that? Some of it is, like I said, through gathering information, going through it, learning on the job, but also through another aspect of resiliency, which is social support and social engagement. Yes, Michelle, social support is so important. I never really thought about it as an aspect of resiliency. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. And really, I can't emphasize the importance of social support enough. You know, as we've been saying, this is a long journey, and it can be a tough journey at times, and it isn't one that really anyone can do alone. Social support is one of the keys to being able to go the distance. And there's so many great sources of support. There's no reason to do it alone. Sometimes caregivers are reluctant to reach out for help or to receive help. But you know, not only is it helpful and it makes a difference, but one can think about it that it's also a gift to others when you allow them to help. You know, you know what it's like when you want to help others and how good it feels when you can make things a little easier for them. So when you let someone else do that for you, you're really giving them a gift. You're letting them in. I will add a little tip here that often friends and family may say to the caregiver, so let me know how I can help. And that can be hard. It sort of, you know, puts the burden on the caregiver to come up with and ask, go back and ask later for something, you know, that they might need help with. But, you know, one little tip is to have a list ready or even better yet, post the needs that you might have ongoing on your Caring Bridge or Lots of Helping Hands website. You can give people choices, but when you're kind of ready with things, it works better for both of you because really they don't know what you need and they really do want you to tell them that helps them. And then it helps you because you actually might get the help you need. That sounds good. So there are lots of great sources of support. It's really kind of multi-layered. Of course, there's hands-on support, getting help with food and errands, lawn care, child care, pet care, Respite, you know, for getting a break, having someone stay with your loved one while you run errands or take a break yourself. You know, all those things are really helpful in terms of the hands-on kind of uh, support. But there are other kinds of support too. You know, it might be having someone to talk to. This is actually a true story. And I think, Peggy, it might be similar to what one of your other caregivers talked about. When my dad was in the hospital for an extended period of time, a friend of mine just showed up in the waiting room and texted me that she'd be there for a while if I felt like talking. I didn't think I did, and I probably wouldn't have asked her to come. But when I went out to say hi and thanks for coming, we ended up talking for 20 minutes and it felt really good. 
So, you know, sometimes it might feel good to talk to somebody and that's something you can let them know that they can do for you. Sometimes it's really helpful to talk to somebody where you're not talking about the medical stuff for a change. Sure. Or maybe sometimes talking to another BMT caregiver who's been through it before. So on that note, I will say there really is no substitute for talking to someone who gets it where you don't have to explain. I think particularly when you're talking about the experience of BMT, it's something that not a lot of people have experience with. So, you know, a lot of BMT families talk about that once they're home from the transplant center, friends and family don't always understand that it's not the end of the journey at that point. You know, the end of treatment doesn't mean everything's over now and it's all finished hunky-dory. It's really the beginning of the next road, the next phase, the next stage of the journey, the recovery stage that might last months and sometimes even years. If you're talking about allogeneic transplant and the possibility of graft-versus-host disease, then it really could be a whole new stage, a whole new set of medical issues that one is dealing with. And I think a lot of folks, understandably, just don't understand that. So we can certainly try to help them understand that by giving them information and sharing what's going on. But I will say this can be an especially good time, especially a good part of the time in the journey to talk with others who've been through it because they get it and you don't have to explain. Another kind of social support to think about is talking to a counselor or a therapist. And I think this is especially true for the caregiver because there's a lot riding on their shoulders and they may feel reluctant to get help. You know, often caregivers feel guilty if they have feelings of fatigue themselves or feelings of fear, sadness, frustration, anger, depression. Um, You know, they may be very focused, of course, on their loved one and not taking time for themselves. They may not want to burden the patient with their feelings. But I think having an outlet where you can talk through things, some scheduled me time where you can process feelings of their own losses, you know, their own fears and worries and get support or help with problem solving can really make a huge difference. I'll say. So that leads us to the third resilience factor, which is self-awareness and self-care. Oh, yes, Michelle, self-care. We all know how important that is. So it did occur to me that we could have devoted the whole podcast to this (laughs) one issue because it is so important. And really, there's so much to it. It's hard to overemphasize this one enough. It's so important, but it's really, really hard for most caregivers to understand how important it is, or even if they do understand, to find ways to care for themselves. And there's so many reasons for that. It might feel selfish to them. You know, they feel like they don't have time or they're not the ones who are ill. There are lots and lots of different reasons. But, you know, I'm hoping that if we can think about this road analogy, maybe this will be helpful. I hope so. You know, one thing is if you think about if you were preparing to take a really long road trip, you would want your car to be in really good shape, right? Right. You wouldn't just start driving down the road. You would check the oil, you'd check the tires, you'd maybe get a tune-up. You know, so ideally, of course, before one even got started on a big road trip, you know, you'd have a chance to check out the car and get everything in good condition before hitting the road. And we would do that for ourselves. But of course, with cancer, with BMT, it happens and it happens often, you know, very unexpectedly in the middle of us living our lives. And so we don't always have that luxury, even if that would be ideal. The good news is we can also do it along the way, though. So another way to think about it is when we're on a long road trip, you know, we park for the night. And then before we get back on the road the next day, we might at that point walk around the car and take a look and make sure we don't have a flat tire or check to see if we have gas in the tank or whatever. In the same way, caregivers could check in with themselves every day or at least pretty regularly. 
you know, perhaps every morning, just a quick check on their energy level, on how they're feeling physically, check in kind of with their emotions and, you know, and to see, is there any area that could use a little attention, a little fuel, if you will? What a great analogy, Michelle. Tell us more. The good news is even if we forget to check the car or check in with ourselves before we get on the road or before we start the day, the car has a built-in alert system to tell us if something needs attention, which is the dashboard warning lights. The warning lights will tell us if we have low gas or low oil or low battery or is overheating. And you know what? We actually kind of have our own dashboard warning system as well as humans. We have physical symptoms that pop up. We have emotions that pop up. We have warning signs. And just like the car, if we don't pay attention, if we don't heed them, we could really run into trouble. So just as an example, we could take a second and just think of an example like with gas in the gas tank. So let's say we're driving and we didn't actually check before we were driving and we see that the warning light is on and we might think, oh, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just go a few more miles and I'll just push it a little bit. And I think a lot of caregivers say this, I'll just keep pushing this till I get this done. I don't have time to stop. But you know, with gas in the gas tank, we understand that there's a limit, right? Like we can't keep pushing and pushing and pushing that at some point that tank is going to be empty and the car is going to stop. And then we have to spend a lot more time and a lot more energy trying to call AAA or walk to a gas station and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we're late and it's really a problem. So, you know, it's interesting with our cars, we're aware in a kind of healthful way that we need to pay attention to those warning signs and we need to replenish the tank. And so it's kind of like developing that same appreciation, if you will, for our own inner need, fuel needs and warning lights with being a caregiver. And that if we don't attend to our own fuel needs, we can really run into problems later. Very true, Michelle. Now, sometimes we're in a rush and we don't have much money with us or we don't have much time. So we'll just put in a couple of dollars worth of gas in. But, you know, generally, I think another way to think about this is we do want to, if we can, to try to keep that tank topped up as much as possible because it's what helps us to have one less thing to worry about later should something come up unexpectedly in the road. So for instance, let's say there's a detour that's really long and it was completely unexpected, or the gas station that we were planning to stop at turned out to be closed. Like with BMT, if there's suddenly issues with GBHD and one has to go to the doctor, one has to switch gears, if your tank already has fuel in it, is, is fueled up, you're going to be able to manage that better than if you're running on empty all the time. And that goes the same for keeping your battery charged, your tires pumped up and so forth. So you can, in that way, think about keeping your physical body strong and well, your emotional well-being, so you don't overheat. You know, that self-care is really about keeping the engine, the whole engine running optimally. But it's also a type of resilience in that you'll be ready and in the best condition to weather unexpected storms. So in this way, we're seeing self-care as building resilience. And it's, it's not fluff. It's not optional. It's really a way that you hold the key to long, long-term success here. So this actually leads to the next aspect of resiliency, the ability to be flexible and adaptable. Wow, Michelle, I never thought of that one before. Let's hear some more about this. Being on this road, on this journey, one thing we can be fairly certain about is that it's not usually a completely straight shot. There can be a lot of twists and turns, a lot of unexpected delays and roadblocks. You know, 
honestly, sometimes it takes a whole lot longer than we thought to get where we're trying to go. So again, the more we can try to build in a flexible and adaptable approach, the less suffering we are going to experience, the less frustration and heartache. For instance, just understanding that this is the nature of this trip, the nature of this road. It isn't always smooth sailing or a straight shot. Um, We won't be able to plan it out ahead all of the time, and we will experience some unexpected issues. But like just understanding that can actually be really helpful psychologically because it, it shapes our expectations, and then we aren't surprised or frustrated or disappointed should something happen along the way. But also when we build those other areas of resiliency that we talked about, the confidence competence piece, you know, which included that ability to problem solve and persevere, when we build up our social support system and we have lots of different resources in terms of kinds of support, when we have been pretty good about trying to keep ourselves recharged and refueled and okay, we're going to find it much easier to successfully navigate those unexpected twists and turns because we've already got resources there. If you think about it, if we have tires that are worn down and worn thin or flat, it's much more difficult to respond quickly and swerve out of the way of a roadblock. Or as I said before, if we have a full tank of gas and there's a long detour, we know we're okay. We're not going to freak out. So all those things really help in terms of building that flexibility, adaptability. Um, A few other things I think are lightness, if you will, humor, being gentle with oneself. You know, caregivers can be really, really hard on themselves and can put a lot of pressure on themselves. But you know what? There are no mistakes. There's just learning. You're learning as you go. So, you know, to try to be compassionate and gentle with oneself, know that you and your family are in this together and you can find humor, even at small, silly things. Just understanding that this is part of the journey. So kind of embracing it, if you will. So sometimes it doesn't go the way we expect and it takes longer than we think. But really working to be kind to oneself and patient and gentle and sort of build tolerance and and honestly take a lot of deep breaths um, in order to continue on. (laughs) This is just so true. We see it all the time with our mentors and our caregivers. And I, I just can't believe how right on all of this is for their journey keep on going. We want to hear more, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're at the final one now. But uh, I have to say, it is amazing that along the way, and this again speaks to this human resiliency, that like on any long road trip, even if it's longer than we thought, and the scenery wasn't great, and the road was tough, and we feel kind of beaten up, I think we can almost always notice and remember bright spots along the way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to just stop for a moment and get out of the car and pull out that map that we talked about in the beginning and like take a look and see where are we at now? Where are you at now? Look how far you've come. Notice those milestones you've passed along the way, how much the patient has recovered or how much you've grown. You know, perhaps you feel like, gosh, I never thought I could do this, but look at me. I I have been able to. You know, maybe it's remembering some kindnesses along the way, a special nurse, a neighbor who did something special, some little blessings or bright spots, ways that you and your family have grown, you know, finding a sense of meaning or purpose, drawing on faith or something larger than ourselves is a huge aspect of resilience. And amazingly, we can actually really enhance this 
we can check in with ourselves, um, just like we can check in with ourselves in the morning and attend to our needs and self-care. One thing we can do is check in with ourselves at the end of the day and sort of see, are there any positive things we can notice, no matter how small? Are there ways that we can acknowledge that we did okay? We came this far. We can feel good about something we did. We can think about things we might be grateful for. And especially in the face of adversity, this really can make a difference. Absolutely. So I know we're coming to the end. So just to take a moment to recap, I do hope these things might be helpful for folks no matter where they are on their journey. But, you know, for them to be able to see this roadmap and to understand that it's a little bit of a longer trip oftentimes with lots of twists and turns, but with confidence and perseverance that will grow with time, that with social support, different kinds of social support and building community and understanding and realizing you're not alone, by really taking self-awareness and self-care seriously and understanding what an important role you play on this journey. You are the vehicle, really. And that you taking care of yourself really does affect everyone else in positive ways. That all of those things help with flexibility, the adaptability, the ability to switch gears, to reroute, to recalibrate as needed. And that finding meaning and purpose along the way on this journey are all things that make the journey a little bit easier and keep us um, strong and resilient along the way. All these things can really make a difference. So you could be one of those stories, you know, the people who are really proud of their cars. They say, hey, (laughs) my car is 300,000 miles on it, and it, it might have dings and dents, but it's still going strong. And that's what we wish for you. Thank you, Michelle. I just love this. It's gonna, next time I'm driving down the road, I'm gonna be thinking about this myself. I think a lot of this applies to everyday life for all of us, in fact. Thanks. To take care of ourselves and, and be kind to ourselves. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Peggy. And I thank the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link so much for the opportunity to speak today. And, and I certainly thank all those who are listening today. Thank you, Michelle. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. Feel free to share this episode via text, email, or social media. To hear more, subscribe for free to Marrow Masters in your favorite podcast app. To learn more about the resources available to both patients and caregivers, check out the National Bone Marrow Transplant link at nbmtlink.org. That's nbmtlink.org, or just follow the link in our show notes.